What would it take to arouse your life, to experience more connection, more pleasure, more realness in and outside of the bedroom? I'm August McLaughlin, and this is Girl Boner Radio. start with one of mine this time. I had recently moved to Los Angeles to work in film and TV, and I met this guy, another actor, at a dinner event my then-agent had put together. We talked and talked about our craft and our careers. His had taken off a lot more than mine. Anyway, we traded numbers, and he asked me out. And a few days later, we were having an early dinner at a casual hotspot called Mel's Drive-In in West Hollywood. And we're sitting there chatting and eating, and this restaurant was a lot better lit than the dinner we had met at. And unlike the night we met, we were sitting straight across from each other. So this was the first time that I could really look into his eyes, and I felt super weird when I did, just really, really uncomfortable. He wasn't saying anything inappropriate or doing anything odd. It was just... It's like his face or his demeanor or something that didn't make any sense to me gave me the creeps, and I just could not figure out why. So I kept that evening relatively short, and when I went back to my apartment, I hopped on my computer and I searched for him on IMDb, that database for the film business where you can learn all about actors and other professionals in the industry. And back then, I had this practice of completely avoiding IMDb when I met people who are in the industry because I didn't want to have all these preconceived ideas about the person. So I'm skimming over his bio and my eyes land on this title of a creepy film that I had just watched weeks before, I think on Lifetime. And he had played a serial killer in the movie. So that it all made sense. Obviously, he's a very skilled actor. If you haven't yet listened to the first Girl Boner episode of, oh my god, Sex and Dating Stories, you may want to check that one out too. I'm so excited today to share more wild and zany stories, this time featuring some of my friends and colleagues. The first few feature folks from the Period Network, which I am so happy to be a part of. We'll wrap up with thoughts from Erin Tillman, a dating empowerment coach who is this month's featured expert. Dr. Megan Fleming is taking the month off to focus on leading a sensual life and prioritizing pleasure. And for her, that really includes spending time with loved ones. So I love that she's doing that. And I'm sure that we will all miss her tremendously and also have a lot of fun exploring dating questions with wonderful Erin. Speaking of exploring and fun, this month also happens to be Anal August in sex ed. (laughs) I have said it before and I will probably keep saying it until I get one. I need that on a t-shirt. Shouldn't August be wearing an anal August shirt? (laughs) Maybe this year will be the year. Whether you're seasoned in butt play or you've never tried it and would like to, head to thepleasurechest.com to check out a range of awesome anal toys. If you're new, I recommend the B-Vibe Anal Training and Education Set which comes with butt plugs of different sizes and lubricant and a how-to guide and more. And whether you use toys or not, please always use a quality lube during anal play. That is so important. 
And really, almost any play benefits from a good lubricant. Which brings me to our next story, which comes from someone who is such an important part of the Girl Boner crew. I am Mackenzie Mazel, and I don't know, I decided recently that I think I want to sort of rename myself. I'd like to call myself the organizer of period because I like the idea of the network being everybody's equal. So I just keep things running. And period is an all women and non-binary podcast network and, you know, just general resource for women in podcasting. Mackenzie also engineers all of my in-studio and on-location episodes when there isn't a pandemic, and she helped me set up a little audio booth in my home, which is where I'm sitting right now. Mac and I have had so many conversations about sex and dating, but I had not heard this one yet. When I was 21 and I was seeing this guy, he was the first person I'd had sex with. We were both totally new to so many things within sex. And I had gotten lube because I was having a lot of pain. And then I saw somebody and she was just like, yeah, like your vagina is small and your cervix is shallow and lube would be a good idea. So we had like just gotten lube maybe that day. And we were just like laying around in bed together and we were like, well, why don't we like give each other foot rubs? That'd be cute. And we were like, well, let's just use the lube as foot rub (laughs) or as, as lotion. So we start rubbing each other's feet and it's great. And then we start cuddling. And then a little while later, he gets up to go pee and just falls flat on his face on the floor because we forgot we'd covered our own feet with lube. So the follies of early sex. (laughs) I'm sure it was a very humbling moment. And thankfully, he did not get hurt. Yes, he was fine. (laughs) Face planted, but he was fine. Looking back on her sex and dating history, Mackenzie said her best experiences have been based on friendship, familiarity, and honesty. As a result, she said these experiences have had this enduring goodness about them, and they don't lose their shine, even after years go by and she's moved on. Trust and friendship can also make communicating about sex easier, something Mackenzie has really learned to embrace. Speaking specifically in a sexual context, being in the moment and being able to say, I prefer external stimulation, pull my hair, slap me, you know, just being able to ask for things in the heat of the moment and having the other person say, oh, I'm here, I'm receptive, I will either do it or I will communicate to you what I'm not comfortable with, that just matters so, so much because I have dated people who take it personally, not even necessarily criticism, but input. And having that basis of friendship, she said, makes communication about sex so much easier. And the more you do communicate well, the more pleasurable and hotter sexual experiences can be. People think that communicating during sex is unsexy and I really think that it's the opposite uh I think that people think everything has to be in the moment and unspoken and you use touch not words but it's so sexy to have somebody say I want to kiss you like who doesn't think it's hot for somebody to be like can I have sex with you I want this I want that like it's so it's such a sad lie that we've all bought to think that it's 
unsexy to talk about sex. And the talking doesn't have to stay serious, nor does sex. Because as Mackenzie's lube-sailing partner illustrated, some parts of sex are seriously funny. That is so huge. If you can laugh during sex, that's everything. Speaking of which, our next story is a mix of cringy, funny, and depending on how you look at it, pretty steamy. My name is Sarah, and I'm one of the co-hosts of Comadres y Comics, a podcast that highlights the representation of the Latinx community as well as women. That's women in the comic book community as creators, writers, fans, and characters. And we also review beer. Sarah told me that once she started having sex, it was like all hell broke loose. Hell meaning sexual exploration heaven in many ways. I lost my virginity to a man that I love. Uh, but then after we broke up, um, I decided to just go really just explore the world. Some of her experiences were wonderful and some were, shall we say, unique. Like the one you're about to hear. It's kind of embarrassing, but it's kind of funny too. There's this guy I was dating right after my, my first boyfriend and my love. This fellow and I, we were kind of partiers. I mean, we weren't really together. We just were having sex together and we would go out to clubs together. And so with that came a lot of drinking too. So one time he decided to introduce me to a friend he wanted me to hook up with. Like, I think you guys have a lot in common. We're just, you know, sex buddies. And I'm like, oh, thanks. That's really cool. But then I got really nervous. And so I started drinking. Just before that, Sarah had eaten a big, juicy hamburger. You might be able to guess what happened next, partly. A little heads up that vomit is involved. I think most of us who've ever had a drink or two too many can relate to that part. What happened after that, though? I'm not actually sure how common it is. I do know it is not often talked about. You know, we're driving and, you know, the guy's not talking to me. So I guess he didn't like me, but I was like so nervous. And then they were speeding. And so I got really nauseous and I threw up. And it landed on the roof of the, of the car. And it kind of sort of uh, rained down on me a little bit. And so then they told me, stick your head out the window. So then I threw out the window and then I was done for the night. Little did Sarah know then that some things were just beginning or about two. So the group was just arriving to the club at that point and seemed to have no plans of turning around or changing plans. So Sarah said she would just hang back and rest in the back seat. So the guy that they were trying to set me up with, he left. He's like, I'm gonna go to the club, this is disgusting. And I was like, oh God, woe is me, right? And so, but then the guy that I had the sexual relationship with, he like climbed to the back and we just started having sex, just like raunchy sex in vomit. If you're wondering what in the world would make a vomit-coated anything seem like a good place to get busy, such a spot may not seem so gross to you in the heat of the moment. A study published in the Public Library of Science Journal showed that arousal makes things that we would normally be yucked out by not so gross. Women were shown spicy film clips and then asked to complete 16 different disgusting tasks, like handling what appeared to be feces-smeared toilet paper or sticking their finger into a bowl of used condoms. In analyzing their level of disgust, 
researchers linked sexual turn-on with a higher tolerance for otherwise gag-inducing things. That may be one reason dirty bathrooms seem like a hot spot for sex, at least on TV. When I mentioned the basics of this to Sarah, she said it made a lot of sense. I see it now. I, I realize, wow, I learned something new because I, yeah, I mean, years later, you think about it, you're like, why did I do that? But then in the moment, you know, you're so turned on, you don't realize it. You know, and like you said, you, it, that stuff doesn't, it's not a deal breaker is what you're saying. You know what? You hit it right on the mark because for me, that's my biggest thing. That's the thing that takes me out of the movie, takes me out of the whatever I'm watching on TV because I'm like, do you think they cleaned the restroom before they filmed that scene? I mean, because their head's in the toilet. <laughs> now that she's married, Sarah enjoys adventures of other kinds. She said she finds talking about what she and her husband want to try next and doing a bit of planning ahead to be helpful and exciting. All of that just makes sex really positive. She also smartly carries over lessons she learned from her early exploration days. You know, even when anal is introduced, you're like, okay, I'm not going to eat the cheeseburger, you know, kind of thing. Next, I spoke with a period host you may recognize from a recent episode. My name is A.M. Davies, and I have a podcast called Yes, a Stripper Podcast, and It's all about what strippers in the community are doing, whether they're in the community now or were in the community before and are retired. And it's just to show that strippers are human beings with real life issues and that do amazing things. It's just to really humanize them more and to educate the population on how amazing strippers are and uh, what they're capable of and that all your preconceived notions are completely false. Many of those preconceived notions can make dating a bit more complicated for strippers. A few years ago, A.M. met a man at an event and felt smitten by him instantly. He was a Puerto Rican man, a little shorter than I normally date, and wore glasses and like went to this weird church that I never heard of before. And if you know me, I date dudes that are like tall and buff with a lot of tattoos and they definitely aren't really going to church regularly. So it was really different. It was really different. And I felt very connected to him immediately. And at first he reveled in my online presence and how I was online and almost like would show me off a bit to his friends. Like, look at this girl that I'm dating and then tell me. And, and he found it exciting that I not only did I look at other women when we were together, but I encouraged him to do so as well. And that was really fun and exciting and new for him. AM was as confident about what she brought to the table as she was taken by this guy. She also found his adoration of her spicy online content refreshing because that's not typically how things have panned out. I basically, it was a dream come true to this dude. You know, I mean, I'm gorgeous. I'm intelligent. I'm independent, self-sufficient, caring, thoughtful. And I happen to be a big fat slut online, which is the caveat, right? Which is ultimately my downfall in most relationships. But with this one, it just felt different. He was like into it and he thought it was great. And all signs led to, finally, someone accepts me for who I am. Then one day, a couple of months into their relationship, while she was away, they were talking on the phone. 
And he said something that would change everything. He said to me, um, I've just been having a hard time thinking about telling my mom about you or having my 20-year-old son see your account on Instagram. And I just don't know what to say to them about you. And I feel like I can't talk to them about you. And I'm just worried about what my mom will say. And my heart just ripped in half because I knew that that was the moment it was going to have to be over. And my bubble just burst. And I said that you just bursted this bubble we had. And I was crying and I was I was trying to salvage it. I was trying to justify his remarks because I liked him so much and I still was inexperienced and being dumped over something like that. Kind of in a way, you know, he, he dumped me for my Instagram account. That was the first time. It wasn't that I was dancing. It was like how I was on Instagram. And that was, that was the first time I got like rejected because of my public persona. I asked A.M. what that was about and whether it went deeper than her posts on social media. Did he feel threatened somehow, concerned about what others might think or how they might judge her or him? I think that he would have had to have very confronting conversations with his loved ones. And I think that a lot of people don't want to have serious confronting conversations, whether they're constructive or not. Like people are just afraid to talk about difficult subjects. AM and the guy tried to work things out, having conversations over several days, both hoping for the best. Meanwhile, a whole lot was happening in U.S. culture and politics. We tried to talk about it. We, we tried to continue. We had a, a couple other conversations. And so it's funny because this, this initial conversation was like on October 31st of 2016. And that is relevant because a week later, the person that is in office now was elected. We cried ourselves to sleep on the phone that night together. And so we were still trying to work it out. And he was supposed to come East and meet my family. (laughs) And like two days before he was supposed to fly, he's like, I just can't do it. Like I've thought about it and like we went through it for like a week and he's like, I thought about it and I just, I can't get over it and I can't do it. I'm going to have to cancel and we're going to have to like part ways. And that was the last time they spoke. AM said she's been thinking about reaching out to him now that she's moved on and healed from the heartbreak to let him know she doesn't harbor any hard feelings and to wish him well. Given what she's experienced as a sex worker in the dating realm, I asked her what advice she would offer someone who's considering dating someone in her field. Yeah, I would say that you have to talk to them about their work and what you're comfortable with and not comfortable with, just like you would if you decide to go into an open relationship. If you're in a relationship with a sex worker, be prepared to share. And if you can't handle sharing, whether it's emotional or physical time or mental time, because sometimes a lot of the work that I've done as a sex worker is emotional and not actually physical. Like I have to talk to people. And so if you're not willing to share your partner's time in any capacity, then 
dating a sex worker is not for you because what you should never do is date a sex worker and ask them or expect them or demand for them to change to suit your own needs and insecurities that you're dealing with. So grow up, get over it, and share. Our last story comes from this month's featured expert who has appeared in a couple of previous episodes. Hey, everybody. I'm Erin Tillman, a.k.a. the Dating Advice Girl. And for 12 years, I've been a dating empowerment coach with an emphasis on consent. And I practice in the Los Angeles area doing workshops and consulting with dating apps. And it's been a lot of fun. I love this prompt, by the way, because yeah, I do have a variety of experiences, but also I think that people are also surprised to hear that I was a little bit of a late bloomer. You know, I grew up in a small town in Ohio and I don't know if it's totally relevant, but I was the only black girl in my grade. I was really popular, but meaning that, you know, I was on student government. I was prom princess junior year. I had a ton of friends and, you know, super extroverted. When I tell people I didn't really have any sort of dating experiences until after high school, people are like, wow, that's crazy, especially because I'm a dating coach too. It's like, what? If Erin had dated during high school, I wonder if her first experiences would have been like mine. Given that we're about the same age, and I grew up in the Midwest too, about a state over in Minnesota. If so, her first dates might have included exciting things like Taco Bell burritos or driving to a park with big gulps from 7-Eleven. But no, instead, Erin's formative sex and dating experiences happened in Paris. And what she shared seemed soundtrack-worthy. During her junior year of college, Erin headed to France to study abroad. Erin arrived in France both nervous and excited. While she spoke French, she quickly realized that there was still a bit of a language barrier as she adjusted to hearing French without an American accent. It finally clicked one day. Someone told me, once you start dreaming in French, you're really going to understand. Like, that's when you know you've gotten it. And it was like, literally, I, I remember waking up like a month into being in France and I was like, oh my God, I just dreamt in French. Yay, success. Erin also quickly noticed a difference in the culture around race and how she was treated in positive ways. And she started to get attention that she wasn't used to getting back at home in Ohio. Because people knew I was American. A, from, because there's a lot of the black people that in France specifically at that time were African. A lot of them were African or British. And so I guess just the way I looked, the way my mannerisms were, people knew I was not, they knew I was North American, either American um, or Canadian. People always asked if I was one of those two. And because of that, there was more of a like, ooh, Black American girl. Because Black American culture was, and I would let's just argue, is a thing, especially in pop culture, other countries really like were like oh my gosh black American specifically a black American person oh my god wow this is so exciting that was the first time I really felt desirable it was the first time I really felt really attractive and not specifically because I was black like I think that I got some attention because I was unique in those ways in France but also it wasn't a fetishy thing of like um, oh, black American girl it was like, oh no, she's black and American. She's interesting. Erin said she didn't feel objectified, but celebrated and respected. There was no, I can't date her because based on her race. 
and she feels really fortunate to have had those experiences. Before long in France, Erin met her first serious boyfriend, someone she would go on to date for about a year. And those experiences were nothing like, say, Taco Bell. It was just like this romantic feeling of just feeling like you're being whisked off of your feet. I remember specifically with my ex, you know, it was kind of like casually thrown out there like, hey, do you want to go to Paris for the weekend? And I'm like, oh my God, really? He's like, yeah, whatever, let's get on the train and go. I'm like, okay. And so it was the whole thing where he booked this cute little hotel. I mean, just the train ride alone was so cute. I remember we sat on like the same side of the train so we could sit like next to each other instead of like opposite each other. Um, and just, I remember just feeling this, this feeling of like, I'm so lucky to have this experience. Like, this is what people write about. These are the experiences you hear in like songs and see in movies and things. It's like New York, but different language. So all the hustle and bustle and streets that aren't perpendicular and all the, so I just remember us navigating and just kind of like aimlessly roaming down these crazy, like twisty streets and streets again, that like intersect into like a triangle. We went, I remember one of my favorite areas in Paris is Montmartre, which is on top of a hill, so to speak, in Paris, a really well-known artist district. And I just remember walking around, it was like twilight, getting dark. You can see the Eiffel Tower in the distance. And it was just so good, just a really stereotypically romantic. We're holding hands. There's like a violinist, you know? I definitely remember an accordion player at some point. <laughs> In a weird way, I miss having some of that youthful, like, corniness <laughs> of it all because there's so many things happening in the world and just as you get older, things become more serious. To remember that whimsy, that whimsy and youthfulness and quote-unquote ridiculousness of the romantic side of all of that stuff and falling in love and having those experiences, you know, because I think that that keeps us young and that keeps us happy. And, you know, you, you can have that experience even if you aren't traveling somewhere fantastic, like integrate that into your relationships. What can you do that could make something whimsical and fun and lighthearted and fresh and new feeling like when you were having your first experiences? I love the way Erin ties her stories into lessons so naturally. And she's right. We can absolutely cultivate a sense of whimsy in our lives and relationships. That courtship and added romance that seems so ingrained in Parisian culture are not only memories Erin carries with her, but she infuses them into her life and applies them as a dating coach. Here is just some of her expert advice for all of us, including some dating suggestions that we can implement, even during the thick of a pandemic. I think it's really important to remember that if you're in a relationship that you can still court each other and have date nights. Some cities in the U.S. are doing drive-in movies. I love this. I think that's super cute and super romantic. It brings back this feeling of nostalgia. You're in your car. I don't know. I feel like there's a whole like thing about like making out in the car or like, you know, like hidden moments in the front or back seat of your car with your partner or with somebody that you're dating. I, I love that. I think things like that that are maybe something we don't do usually, those things are the things that can bring the fun and the whimsy back. But even if you don't have a, a drive-in movie, like 
you know, maybe if you have a backyard, maybe there's a way that you could, you know, just bring a laptop and watch a movie outside under the stars. Like that's super cute. Something, just something that's not your typical way of doing a date. Here's the blessing of the pandemic. We've really had to be creative, right? To not get sucked into this trap of what was me. And it's easy to do, right? We're humans, right? There's a lot of things that we're grieving that, you know, we experienced before all these plans we'd made that we had to cancel. So all that to say, you know, what can you do? How can you make it super fun and cute at your house or in your yard or taking a mini road trip somewhere, camping? You could cook together. I've been cooking a ton or baking, trying new recipes. Doing something experiential with somebody that you're dating is really a good way to connect. So cooking, like I said, cooking together, baking together, you're doing something tactile with each other and learning together and oops, we put too much salt in that recipe. Oh no, like, oh, well, it might not be delicious, but you're experiencing this really fun thing and and you're sharing a moment together and that connects us. So it really can be, especially for people out there who maybe are having a little bit of trouble because of all the things, right? You're homeschooling your kids and all the things. So it's just, it's, it's a really important time to work out our creativity muscles. Learn much more from Erin by signing up for her one-hour online course, Win at Dating. It's a fun, conversational, virtual dating, intimacy, and self-development course. You can sign up at the link down in the show notes. While you're there, feel free to drop me a note if you have a question you would like us to explore on the show this month. Now, I promised my email list subscribers that I would share some of their, oh my God, sex and dating stories. Here are just a few. My wife wanted to go to a swingers resort to be able to act on her fantasy of public sex. I agreed to do it for her, but it wasn't my fantasy. I am shy and have a small penis. One night we ended up on a bed by the pool and I was loving going down on my wife, making her fantasy a reality. She begged me not to stop, so I didn't. In the meantime, a super fit girl and a well-hung guy came to the bed next to us. The girl watched the amazingness my wife was experiencing, the waves of pleasure and joy. Meantime, this fit girl was having a subpar time. My wife finally collapsed. The neighbor guy finally came. I went to get towels, and the young pretty girl ended up there too. She complimented me and my wife and said she totally would have switched places. It more than made my night. I'm so happy you had that experience. Thank you for sharing it with us. Here's another. Once when I was sick, I was on medication that lowered my sex drive immensely. Well, after I recovered, my wife and I had sex and I had the most mind-blowing orgasm. (laughs) O-M-F-G. I love that story too. I think that's one reason that there's absolutely no shame. I mean, there are many reasons, but there's no shame in having periods of not being sexually active and I think one of the benefits of that, if say you're only having sex, you know, once every month or two versus you were used to having it every week, again, these are just random numbers. There's no quote unquote normal, but there's something about the anticipation. As long as you're not, you know, turning off your your connection to your sexuality, I think that sometimes those breaks can be helpful, even when they are completely not optional. <laughs> That's a great story. Okay, another one. I have a tendency to go on dates with men who look nothing like their profile pictures. I once went on a date with a man who looked so far from his app presentation that when I pulled up to the date, he popped out to grab something from his car, and I was shocked to see not one but two large bald spots. 
Now, I am not superficial, but I am not a fan of misrepresenters. This man included seven photos of himself on the app and, shocking, no bald spots. I was in such a state of shock, I met him for our fun-filled 50-minute date. Safe to say he inspired me to get off the apps and only meet my future beaus in the real world. Oh my goodness, I feel like Erin would have thoughts about that. I might share it with her. But I will say I'm with you on the honesty piece. I think it's so important to to be forthright with our with our potential dates, our potential partners, and, you know, in the world. Here's another one. I had a one-night stand with a guy with a big penis. It was so big that we switched positions several times because it wouldn't go in. It was hilarious and a good night. What I love most about that is that you were laughing about it and having fun. I think that's, again, like what Mackenzie brought up. Laughter is such a huge, important piece. All right, next. Mad chemistry, which was on from first eye contact. Burning hot first date and sex in a parking structure in and out of the car before going to the second bar. Almost got caught twice. Likely best not to use the ground floor. That almost felt like a puzzle to me. Like, I feel like there was some code in there, too. (laughs) But yeah, adventurous and hot and steamy, it sounds like. Here's another. I dated a guy once who was very athletic and well-endowed. There are a lot of penis stories today. Uh, Sex with him lasted so long and was so intense that it left me completely chafed, ouch, from my inner thighs all the way up and around to the point that I couldn't sit or walk without pain for three days after seeing him. I had to strategically schedule my time with him so I had nothing going on for a few days after. Thank you for sharing that. That also makes me want to cover pain from, you know, larger size in an episode. I think that could be really interesting because there are some some ways around it. It sounds like you were being strategic so that you could at least have some time to feel better. But I think there are probably some other tips we could share as well. Just a few more here. When I went out on a date with a man who wouldn't look at me for most of the date, then at the end of it, told me he was married and asked me to have sex. That sounds like that came up in the same sentence. Like, hey, I'm married. Do you want to have sex? Yeah, that sounds um, not very ethical, but I'm glad that you found out the truth that that person was married. Uh, It sounds like you did not know that until that point. All right, here's another. Realizing it's clearly not a match and then just having a nice dinner and talking like old friends. We're still friends on Facebook. Yes, we're older. Oh, I like that. You were still able to have fun. Because if you notice that you aren't having romantic or sexual chemistry, that doesn't necessarily mean that you can't have a good time. I think dating should be fun, personally. Okay, here. It was a long, long time ago when I was young, wild, and single One of the hottest unexpected sexual meetings I had was in an airplane lavatory. Believe me, it was hot, it was fast, it was unexpected, yes, it was protected too, but also it was uncomfortable, tiny, and sweaty, and the next day I looked like a catalog of bruises. Not recommended, but it still makes me smile when I think about it. That made me think of Sarah's story, that a bathroom can be a little not so savory but it sounds like in this case at least some good came out of it no pun intended but I'll, I'll embrace that pun I was having sex with my girlfriend at the time on a hot summer day when a pigeon landed in her own window and proceeded to watch us for several minutes thankfully it flew away and not into her apartment but it made us laugh for weeks afterward <laughs> I love that so much what a sweet pigeon who has like a 
watching humans have sex fetish. I say go for it, but try to get people's consent first. Okay, another. The time I finally got together with a guy I had been lusting after and decided I couldn't get naked in front of him due to the imprint from my designer jeans. This was in the 1980s. Oh, I'm so curious what kind of jeans these were now. I remember there was guests that had like a little triangle. (laughs) So funny some of the ideas we get in our minds and a lot of times our partner will not even notice, but that's, that's very endearing. If you have an oh my god sex or dating story you would like me to read or consider sharing, feel free to drop me a note through the link in the show notes. This episode was narrated and produced by me, August McLaughlin, with audio management, music, and sound effects by Mackenzie Mizell, engineer and the founder and organizer of Period. Learn more about this collective of femme and non-binary podcasters at periodnetwork.com. Thanks so much for listening and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week.